0: Hi everyone and welcome to our latest Pensions Lawcast, this is the second in our 2021 series on ESG. Of course you may have heard last year we did a a couple of other lawcasts on ESG, there's been a lot of change in the area so we're back here in 2021 doing uh, an update. I'm joined today by Alex Nicklin and by Sharon Pierre, two colleagues of mine in the Pensions team who work closely in this area with their clients. Uh, We're going to have a look at some trustee duty, a refresh on that, we're going to have a look at where you may get member challenge and employer challenge on this area. Uh, and then Sharon's going to start taking us through some of the new law and regulation that's coming out right now, including the PQR guidance, uh, some stuff on ship. And we're also going to take a look at ESG and Covenant, which is an area we haven't covered before. So that'll be interesting to look at that. Uh, it's quite a lot to get through as always. So I'm going to hand straight over to Alex to start us going on trustee duty.
1: Thanks, Jay. So in a previous CMS pensions law cast, we looked at trustee fiduciary duties and to what extent trustees can or must take into account ESG issues when making investment decisions. So to recap, there's been high profile consideration of this issue by the Law Commission in a 2014 report by the Supreme Court in the Palestine case in 2020. A distinction is made between financial factors that have implications for the performance of an investment and non-financial factors such as the ethical implications of making a particular investment. It's clear that ESG factors, if financially material, will always be relevant. So, for example, if a company has poor environmental standards that may expose it to fines or litigation, then that presents a potential financial risk to an investor and should be taken into account by trustees. In relation to non-financial factors, the approach suggested by the Law Commission and in the Supreme Court's decision in Palestine, was not entirely consistent, and the Palestine judgment was dealing with the local government pension scheme and the role of guidance issued by authorities, rather than the duties of private sector occupational pension scheme trustees. Our view of the current state of the law as it applies to trustees of occupational pension schemes is that non-financial factors can only be taken into account if they do not result in, in a risk of any financial detriment. In essence, such factors can be a tiebreaker, all of things being equal from a financial perspective. Additionally, the Law Commission suggested another limb that must be satisfied if non-financial factors are to be considered. This is that there's good reason to think scheme members share the trustees concerns about the relevant non-financial factor. And in view of the relevant case law, this effectively means that all members of a scheme must agree with a particular approach to ethical investing, which is unlikely to be satisfied in larger schemes, at least if this Law Commission second limb should apply. Trustees should therefore approach non-financial factors with caution when making investment decisions. So given that ESG considerations can overlap with ethical views and financial concerns, Members and employers may seek to challenge a trustee's approach to consideration of ESG factors. There are likely to be member challenges from two angles. Members that believe trustees are not doing enough to consider or report on ESG related issues. This might be driven by the members beliefs or moral principles, even if arguments are made that the trustee decisions cause financial detriment. Alternatively, members may believe ESG investments are not the most profitable, so aren't in members' interests. In the Ombudsman case of Mr. D in 2019, a member challenged the Shell Contributory Pension Fund's investment strategy, requesting specific information from the trustees about where funds were invested in order to assess climate risk. Of course, in a large scheme containing members with very varied views, Dealing with requests for information and having to justify decisions in relation to wide ranging investment portfolios could present a significant administrative burden. In this particular case, the trustee had provided various information and arranged for the member to meet with senior members of staff from the fund and the sponsoring employer. The Ombudsman did not find any breach of a positive disclosure duty or maladministration. And Arguably, the case sets an expectation by the Ombudsman that trustees need only provide members with enough information on their ESG strategy to comply with their existing disclosure requirements. The Ombudsman analysis was, however, criticised by client, Earth, who'd assisted Mr D in his claim. In our experience, more, more scheme members are now interested in their scheme pursuing sustainable investments. Climate-focused action groups may therefore become more confident in challenging the approach to ESG-related investments by a scheme. Trustees commit against the risk of member challenge by ensuring the scheme SIP related documents are up-to-date and legally compliant, and ensuring that they properly understand their legal obligations in relation to ESG investing. Employer challenges Are likely to arise for similar reasons to those by members. And although many employers will be focused on the financial implications of investment decisions, particularly in the current economic climate, some employers, such as charities, may have strong views on ethical matters that they would like trustees to take into account. As a general principle, whilst trustees will typically be required to consult with a scheme's employer in relation to the SIP, trustees are not required to simply follow employers' views relation to investments and, as previously explained, should usually only consider financial factors unless they're satisfied a non-financial factor is, a pro- is an appropriate tiebreaker between investments. In our experience, constructive discussion between trustees and, and employers of the scheme can positively impact on employer attitudes to ESG. In particular, it's becoming increasingly widely understood that the potential impact of climate change be relevant to the financial performance of investments, especially in the long term. I'll now pass over to Jay who will look at some of the practical implications for trustees in this area.
0: Yes, thanks very much Alex. So so where does that leave our trustees uh, on sustainable investment? It's a a, a difficult issue to grapple with, as Alex has described, there's a a potential challenge. Um, But Alex was saying there that you, we go back to basics. We think about that fiduciary duty. What are you doing when you're exercising your investment? Well, you're acting in members' best financial interests, and <clears throat> that's why we think you know as long as you're focusing on that on what what on the financially material factors, um, you really should be kept safe. And how do you do that? Well, it, it's really important to think about the, your scheme, the scheme-specific issues you have, uh, and to bring those investment beliefs and those discussions you're having around your SIP into that conversation. If you're growing factors that you want to take into account from within your scheme, if you're thinking about your own benefits, your own liabilities, your own investment beliefs, then most of the factors you identify in your investment decisions are likely to be financially material, i.e. grown up from your understanding of your own scheme with your own advisors, and that puts you on much safer ground. Non-financial factors are those which are coming from outside the scheme. You're thinking of doing something simply because there is a political or another policy reason to do it, but it hasn't come from within your scheme or within the, the advice you've been taking. And that's where you can run into trouble unless you're using them in a tiebreaker way. Um, but uh, as Alex was saying, that, you know, really focus on the core power uh, and focus on on your own investment beliefs when you're, when you're forming your investment policy, and that will really help you keep on the right side of, of that debate. And the other part of this, of course, is compliance with regulations. We saw that in the, in the Mr D case that, that Alex talked through. You know, and what the regulations are doing now is that they're, they're focusing on setting policies uh, and making sure you're, you're, you're setting your own investment beliefs and reporting progress against those. And it's a real kind of drive towards self-assessment for trustees uh, through the SIP and through the chair statement. Uh, and a lot of that detail started to come out last in the beginning of the year, but in the last just in the last few weeks, we've had a lot more guidance uh, for trustees on, on the how and how they're going to comply with these new regulations and how they're going to approach investment for the next year, three, four, ten years, uh, and Sharon's really well placed to kind of take us through some of those new uh, new documents and new, gu- and new sets of guidance that have come out for consultation, uh, and this is the bit that's, that's sort of brand new and really going to inform the discussion uh, going on, so I'm going to hand straight over to, to Sharon to take us through that.
2: Thanks, Jay. So P. Crick published some non-statutory guidance just at the end of January this year. The guidance is designed to help all pension scheme trustees comply with their duties to manage climate-related risks. It's published in four parts, each has a separate quick start guide. Part one is the introduction. It looks at climate risk as a financial risk to pension schemes, recaps on trustees' legal requirements, which Alex talked us through, and also the TCFD recommendations. Although the TCFD recommendation focuses on disclosures by organisations, the framework is also a useful tool for trustees to assess the relevance of climate change and managing any consequences for their scheme. Part two is all about trustee governance, strategy and risk management. It sets out a suggested approach for the integration and disclosure of climate risk for trustees and this includes defining the trustees' investment beliefs, setting their investment strategy, and selecting and monitoring investment managers. It notes that trustees may also wish to consider the potential strategic options for investing in climate-related opportunities. Scenario analysis is covered by part three. It's fairly technical and includes a recommended scenario analysis. Scenario analysis is forward-looking and is a key tool for assessing the risks and opportunities that climate change presents. Helpfully, the guidance recognises that there are a variety of tools available, and when selecting their approach, trustees should consider the resources available to them and their objectives for the modelling. For example, improving their understanding of their scheme's climate risk exposure, and informing investment or funding strategy decisions. Part four takes us through setting metrics and targets to measure and manage climate-related risk. It recommends metrics that trustees could consider to use so they can report and report on their findings. Trustees need to set two sets of metrics. The first, outcome metrics, These measure the climate change risks and impacts of their investments, such as greenhouse gas emissions. The second are process metrics, and these will reflect the trustees governance processes for managing exposure to climate change. The key, however, is selecting metrics for their relevance to your particular scheme. So whilst the initial obligations apply to large schemes, the expectation is that smaller schemes will have to comply in the future, and the government intends for this to happen by 2025. In any event, most trustees are subject to the current statutory requirements to specify and disclose their policies on climate change and to carry out risk assessments. The guidance therefore provides a framework that all trustees may find useful in order to develop their policies and integrate them into their decision-making resources and contains numerous helpful resources which will help trustees to prepare in advance. Stewardship is defined as the responsible allocation, management and oversight of capital to create long-term value for clients and beneficiaries leading to sustainable benefits for the economy the environment, and society. And there is a growing body of evidence to demonstrate benefits of good stewardship to corporate performance. It should therefore form a key part of the integration of climate issues into trustees' investment processes. Of course, good stewardship will look different for different trustee boards because it will depend on the scheme's resources and the trustees' own investment beliefs. However, in all cases trustees should be clear on how stewardship fits within their schemes investment strategy and how it helps to meet their climate related investment objectives. In October last year the F4C published a review of early reporting and it commended the reporting it had seen which explained how ESG considerations were embedded into decision making. Incorporating good examples and case studies of stewardship activity and showed effective engagement with the long-term strategic issues raised by climate risk. However, it also noted there was room for improvement. For example, by reflecting on the effectiveness of approach and better disclosing outcomes by using specific evidence from the relevant reporting period. It also noted that the length of reports varied between 25 and 80 pages and that a longer report was not necessarily more successful in reporting against the stewardship code. So I have three tips for stewardship. The first one is to put in place a stewardship strategy. The Pensions and Lifetime Savings Association has produced helpful guidance for trustees on developing an appropriate stewardship strategy. Secondly, review your arrangements with asset managers. Trustees now need to disclose how they incentivise their asset managers to make investment decisions in line with their scheme's stewardship policy, focusing on the medium to long-term performance of the underlying investments. And thirdly, develop a clear voting policy. Trustees should consider developing a position on how they will vote on certain matters so they can clearly articulate their views on the full range of ESG issues that may arise. Much of the conversation around ESG focuses on what trustees should be doing in relation to their scheme investment policies and decisions. But there is another side and that is the impact of ESG on the employer covenant. Trustees have a duty to monitor the employer covenant and many may have an independent covenant advisor. Trustees should therefore seek to ensure that their advisor can demonstrate an understanding of the issues and the possible impact that climate change could have on the scheme sponsor. Ideally, trustees would be able to incorporate ESG and climate risks into their assessment of the covenant and how those risks might be mitigated and managed. All employers are likely to be impacted by ESG. They may face climate-related risks and opportunities to some extent, but their nature and magnitude will vary considerably. Climate-related risks can affect businesses directly or indirectly. For example, if the employer is dependent on the high-carbon economy, trustees should be aware that their scheme is likely to have above-average exposure to climate-related risks. Some trustees, therefore, may find that the impact of climate change in ESG is more easily identifiable in relation to their employer. But there are other employers where it would be more difficult to identify where the ESG risk lies. It may be longer term in nature or it may arise indirectly, for example, via supply chains or production facilities. Trustees should take a holistic approach and look at how climate risks affect the employer covenant, funding and investment strategy, as these are all linked and interdependent. TCFD recommends that trustees should identify and assess the materiality of climate related risks and opportunities to their employer. And the main risks and opportunities for each time horizon and the assessment of their employers resilience to the different scenarios.
0: Sharon, thanks. That was a, a really quick uh, quick way to bring us up to speed on a lot of detail. So thank you very much for all of that. And thank you to Alex uh, for, for setting the scene for us earlier on and giving us the latest on, on trustee and producer. Thanks everyone for joining us. We hope that's a helpful introduction to a lot of new law and regulation that's coming out. Um, do look out for future Pensions law casts. We've got one coming up at the end of March, uh, where Maria Rodia will be taking us through the issues on GMP equalization, particularly since the new Lloyds case. We've also got episodes into April on the Pension Schemes Act and particularly the criminal sanctions that are coming in under that Act. So stay tuned for those and thanks very much for joining us today on ASG.